in God's word today. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Starting in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are you're a good and just God. And it's not because you made a, made a way of salvation for us because it's just because that's who you are. But we thank you for calling us from life to death through the power of the cross, through the death and the burial and the resurrection, obedient life in Jesus. And you're still calling people from life to death today, God. And so uh, you're using the proclamation of your word to resurrect and to redeem and to encourage believers today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have it in our language today. And I pray that uh, as we have often prayed in the past that we would not take that blessing for granted and that we would steward that blessing well, Lord that we would faithfully, as we gather together, proclaim your word and that it would be on our lips as we're out in the homes and the marketplaces and the, the places of our lives, Lord. And so today, I, I just pray that you would honor your word. This is not about anybody's eloquence in speaking. This is not about a good outline. This is not about wonderful note-taking. This is about the power of your spirit speaking to us through your word. And so we ask you, Lord, we need you to, to prick and break our hearts where they need pricking and breaking. We ask you to mold us. We ask you to grow us, this body of believers, in love and our desire and ability to grow in faith in you and persevere through whatever lies ahead of us, Lord for your glory. 
So may we just see that in a fresh way today as your church. I thank you for these people, just especially today. I thank you for how you providentially have brought this group of people together in this place at this time to impact your kingdom. How gracious you are. So help us to do that. Lord, I pray also today for for other pastors who are preaching in this city. I pray for ones who may be uh, facing obstacles in their churches, Lord, all kinds of obstacles. And I pray that that they would be faithful to your word. You'd block all that out as they, they proclaim the gospel in whatever text you've put them in. Because this is your story of what a great saving God you are for us. So may that go out across the city. Help us to listen and to speak for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you, don't, if you are a first-time guest, I want to echo what Matt said earlier. We're, we're so glad that you chose to gather with us today. I'm, I'm Kevin. Clearly, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so we're going to be looking today in this passage in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, I had a conversation with one of our guests who visited recently, somebody from out of town, and uh, had, a, had a chance to meet with him a day or so after, after our worship service. And uh, one of the things that he said was that, he, he said this literally, it, thank God, it made me think of this passage because I kind of already had my, my eyeball on it, but he said, thank, you know, I thank God for your church. I can tell it's a healthy church, and it just... The, the question I said, why do you say that? It's not that I don't disagree with you. I do agree with you, but what are you specifically getting at? And he said, well, it's evident that, that I could see some evidence. I could see your love for one another. I could see uh, the welcoming attitude that you had toward guests. I could see uh, a marks of a New Testament church. Is a church. I, I saw that the word of God was very important to you. That's another thing he said. So all those among other things are marks of New Testament churches, healthy churches. If you are a first-time guest, the book that you got today when you came in as a gift was a nine-mark book about what is a healthy church, and it gives you some of those marks. And what we're talking about today is in no way exhaustive of that, but this text certainly does point out some of those essentials, and, and it points to their source and to their meaning in God's big story what it has to do with his gospel and here's the thing if you're considering church and you're not a part of a local church I would say this you can't love Jesus and not love the church the church is Jesus' bride and so I would hope that if you don't know me very well if you got to know me and wanted to show me brotherly love I would hope you would never say I want to show you some love but I don't care anything about your wife, okay? That would not make sense. It's, it's, it's illogical. It's, it's, it's distorted. And that's what it's like to say, I'm going to have my own relationship with Jesus, but as far as being the part of the church, I'm not going to do that. You can't love Jesus and not love the church. Also, you can't love Jesus unless you're becoming more like Jesus, unless you're growing in him, love is a verb, and if, if it's not active, then, then you can't love Jesus without becoming more like him. And that kind of brings us to our passage in a sentence. Uh, I've put that here today. As we await his fully revealed glory, 
which is at his return, we joyfully proclaim our position in Christ through our persevering faith and our love for one another. And I see right now, it didn't take me long to do a typo. Uh, I'm sorry, English people, but we joyfully proclaim our position in Christ through our persevering faith and our love for one another. I want you to notice the first thing Paul does in this passage is that he thanks God. He thanks God. Thanks be to God. That's the first point. Um, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers. Now, what about that word ought? We, words in, in, in a context, in, in cultures, change meaning sometimes. <clears throat> I heard this a lot when I was growing up. I don't know if you did. From my mom. I ought to do, do, do. And it was probably usually not something good that followed. She saw me doing something, and it was, well, I ought to, you know, do this right now. Um, and so what she meant was by that is this is what I'm feeling like I want to do right now. But that's really not that word, what that word means if you look at the entomology. Ought means I owe it. I ought, I owe. I owe it to God to give thanks for you, brothers. I'm compelled to give God, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. Uh, the, New King Jer- King, excuse me, the New King James Version says, we're bound to give thanks. And so when we only or even primarily express thanks to people, we sometimes unknowingly set them up to begin to depend on themselves instead of God. I can tell you, as somebody who who preaches and teaches, I'd much rather hear, I thank God because I see him working in and through you than thank you for that. Now, now I, yes, we should thank one another for things, but, but that's not what Paul is saying here is, I'm thanking God for what he is doing within the body of Christ. Thanks be to God. You see the emphasis on that. Um, and then I don't really like, you know, somebody giving a lot of thank yous to people and building them up because uh, it's really like saying you're really good at this or that and I know better I know what where my clay feet are and I don't need to not have a dependence on God so the thanks is going to God that's where we're going to emphasize it but I also want us to see that that this requires intentionality it it requires outward focus that that we're not looking for outward performance in one another but we're eager to encourage one another by thanking God for his work of grace his works of grace that he's transforming members of the body Uh, do we play a part in this yes that's sanctification but Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 6 God gives the increase so particularly what here uh, is Paul thanking God and and for what is he boasting about to others as an aside, we, we, we may have a little trouble with this. We, you know, we, we think of boasting as a bad thing, right? Boasting is, is, we link it sometimes with arrogance. But we shouldn't because what Paul is doing is he's pointing to the church, Christ is Christ's bride, and Paul is pointing people to Christ for their evidencing that nature of Christ. And that's what his boast is. He's pointing to these, these believers at, at Thessalonica saying, if you look at them, you're going to see Christ because they're following Christ. That's what he's boasting in, this Jesus. So here's a question that comes to my mind. Can, can people boast about trace? 
Could somebody look at our Trace family and say in such a way that when the world looks at us that they see Christ? And the first cause for this thing, as we think about that question for this thanks, is this, for a faith that grows even in the experience of trials in life. You want to see the C verse 3 here. We ought to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and, and the love of everyone of the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And then he talks about boasting for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And I want to be clear, we don't suffer persecution. Matt mentioned a trip to India. I know there's persecution in India. We went to, um, we went to New Jersey a team went to New Jersey a few months ago and we heard from some of the people who, who, uh, who have, have Middle Eastern descent and they've either been back there or they have family there who are suffering persecution. They suffer for their faith, sometimes even to the point of death. We don't deal with that. The worst thing we deal with in this Western culture is marginalization. It is, here's the culture, we're going to try to take your faith and push it to the side. But this is what we need to know. The, the principles are the same, that we need to know how to walk through those things faithfully in a way that points to Christ. Um, you know, Paul has, has such a, an interesting story, but um, even if you go back to Acts, you can see that a faith that's growing and in how it's growing. It's growing through his trials and his persecution. And so here's this characteristic of joy that we see in the church and that is this that is supernatural in the believer and the characteristic is this that we flourish even in the midst of pain and persecution and why would we do that why would we flourish in the midst of pain and persecution when the natural human fleshly response is to shrink back from that to withdraw um, persecution Trials, those things can do a couple of things. One is that they often heighten our awareness of the presence of God. Because when you realize that even the most persistent of trials in your life, whatever it may be, even, even the most persistent will pass, but, but God is eternal. God is eternally faithful. Your joy will be real and it will be evident when you're finding your hope in Him and not in the circumstances uh, that surround you and you're not torn down by those because you know that you have a faith that's going to stand it's going to stand the test of time it's going to stand the taste, test of eternity but there's another reason that we flourish in the midst of pain and persecution it is, is it that they conform us to being more like Jesus I'm going to read from 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 Verses 12 through 14, but beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. <clears throat> but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you so they conform us to being more like Jesus we can identify with the sufferings of Christ when we suffer 
because of our faith or even when we're marginalized and pushed aside because of our faith. The second reason for thanks to God is for the love of one another, for one another that's increasing. Um, one pastor said it this, this way, and I think this is a, a reality check truth. We all tend to be like Linus. We love mankind. We love people. But sometimes we can't stand people in particular, certain people. We have trouble loving individual people. And the mark of a true believer is that our love for one another is increasing. Uh, in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul writes this. He says, Put on then as, as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so that so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So how do we put on love? How do we do that? We look to Christ. We intentionally put off uh, our selfishness and our sinfulness. Uh, I say intentionally because we need to be deliberate about loving people where we are. Loving people where we are right now in this place. People who sometimes are unlovable in ways. People whose personalities do not exactly mesh with ours. And yet we're commanded as evidence of our, our, our relationship with Jesus to, to love one another, to trust him in, in growing us and doing that. Um, I would say a particular word to students here. Matt, Matt mentioned that uh, we're looking at perhaps some more mission trips this year, and perhaps we can have some of those opportunities for students. This is something that I've seen in the past, that, that um, students have a desire to, uh, to go on a mission trip, show that they can do what? So that they can share the love of Jesus. But this is what I would tell you. If, if you aren't loving people where you are, if you aren't loving people in your school, if you're not loving people in your home, if you're not loving people in this body of believers, in this family of believers, then how are you going to intentionally and consistently love others in another culture after the wow factor goes away? After the, oh, this is a, a wonderful spiritual high, and then you realize, you know, the people in this place are sometimes just as hard to love as the people in my school. And so if we're not intentional about loving people wherever God has put us, then we're not growing in love and we're not doing what God has called us to do. Love Christ and love like Christ where you are. Which brings us to, to this next characteristic of joy. Um... Faith and love flourish in the church. So here, here's a, another question that comes to my mind as we think about this. Is your faith, is it growing? Do you see your faith growing? If not, don't let that just sit there. Think about that. Read the word and see what it says about faith. 
find an elder or someone else who's growing in the Lord and share that with them. Because so many times what happens is we see things, we see things that are a problem with us growing in the Lord and we shrink back. And Paul is, is calling, is, is exhorting, he, he's encouraging because of what they're doing and he's, he's spurring them on to keep on growing in the faith together. So is your faith growing? Another question is, is your love for one another growing? I, I would submit, I would remind you that in this text, all of these yous and yours, these second person pronouns are, are plural. They're, they're, they're plural. The you is, you is the body. And so we can take those and make some individual application, but, but, but the bottom line is that we are to be growing together. And that only happens when our love for one another is growing. And then thirdly, how often do you thank God for the very things, that, for the things that, for seeing these things in other believers, for seeing God work in the lives of other believers, for seeing people love others well, for seeing people grow in their faith. How often do you specifically thank God for that? Because that's what Paul's doing here, and that's part of what it means to be in the family of God. Well, you may say, I'm not really in a fiery trial right now. I'm not being persecuted. I'm not really going... Through the, so, so how, what do I do? Do I just sit back and wait? You know, you hear that thing. Uh, you're either uh, in a storm or you're coming out of a storm or you're going into a storm, those kinds of things. And you may say, well, that's, that's not me right now. I must be, I guess it's coming sooner or later. Do I just sit and wait for it? No. You look for opportunities that are many storms in your life and opportunities to, to grow your faith that happen every day. Let me read just... Psalm chapter 1, the first part of this chapter. Blessed is the man who does what? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. And so what's happening here is no matter your season of life, especially sometimes in the kind of trouble-free seasons of life, the roots of faith are growing deep. The roots of, of knowing how to love people are growing deep. You're working at that heart even within those times. So thanks be to God for what he's doing, for a faith that grows and for a love for one another that's increasing. Secondly, righteous judgment belongs to God. We see that in verses 5 through 10 where uh, Paul begins to talk about the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and what that entails as far as, as judgment. And what he says is that this, this being... Uh, these things, the, these abundant love that's growing, the, the, the faith that's growing, those things are evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy or counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. I'll go ahead and read the rest of these verses. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, 
and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So let's just take that, that for a minute. The righteous judgment belongs to God. Um, it belongs to God in, in counting believers righteous. In counting believers righteous. Uh, he's considering them worthy. Uh, verse 5 says that also verse 11 that God may make you worthy God is the one doing the worthy this is the gospel because Paul is not saying well because you have done all of those things so well you're worthy Paul is saying because you are in Christ you're able to walk faithfully through persecution and trials because you're in Christ you're able to grow in your love for one another and that is the evidence that Christ lives in you and because of his righteousness you are counted worthy so that's that's what Paul is saying here this is the gospel God in his judgment in his judgment isn't giving people a pass but rather because of the penal substitution of Christ in our place, we're counted, we're considered, we're legally worthy to, be, to stand before God and not be punished. Because when he looks at us who, are, who have put our faith in Christ and, and repented of our sin and trusted him to forgive us, he sees Christ. But there's also the other part of that, of his righteousness and, and his justness and his necessary judgment because his righteous, the righteous judgment belongs to God not only in counting believers righteous but also in repaying all who reject him. Uh, at least, uh, I would say three things happen when we begin to more deeply understand the holiness and the purity and the, the magnificence of God. Here are some things that happen we also understand the severe eternal punishment that those who reject God will rightfully endure because it's a great rejection. When we reject a pure and holy God and choose to run away from Him, it's a great rejection that requires a great punishment. And so as a consequence we resist any temptation a second thing that happens to to lessen the severity of punishment for rejecting God we see that all in our culture today and in, in a lot of uh, religious teaching that, that the, the knocking off the edges of God's punishment happens but when we dwell on what really a great God he is that's one, one reason we we lift God high here and we lift scripture high as we don't ever want to diminish who he is and fall into the, the temptation of, of knocking the edges off any part of the gospel. Man has consistently attempted to do this throughout history. Uh, we, talk, we could talk about universalism which, which tries to make a way that says in the end God is such a loving God he's going to save everyone. 
It's not biblical. How could you reject a holy God and him do that? Or annihilation, that, that in the end, uh, there may be a period of suffering, but then that will be the end of it. And that's not what, um, that's not what Paul is saying here. And I want you to listen to this. Th- th- here's the place where Paul draws this teaching from. He draws it from Isaiah. Uh, chapter 66, it's the last chapter in the book of Isaiah. I'm going to read the last few verses of this chapter. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. For new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die and their fire shall not be quenched. And they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. What a disservice we would do to anyone when we try to uh, minimize the punishment for, for rejecting God ultimately. What a disservice we would do. And then the third thing that, that is of consequence here is that, that this knowledge of God and of his holiness, of his righteousness, of his jealous for a people of his own and also his his graceful provision in jesus christ it leads us not to a pride in ourselves but to the opposite of that to a humility in other words we would never want to read a text like this and say well they deserve and they're just getting what they deserve in an us against them kind of mentality Listen, if your heart is not breaking over the lostness in your community and in the world, then you're missing something. And I hope you're not missing Jesus because you don't realize what he has done for you. And it, it drives us to a desire to see more people move from condemnation to life. Don't forget where you come from. 1 Corinthians six eleven. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, he, after a list of, of sinfulness and sinful lifestyles, he says, and such were some of you. And so we need to remember every time that we see somebody running as hard as they can against God and we want to say, why are you doing that? You're going to get what you deserve. You need to remember that at a point in your life, you were running as hard as you could against God. And if he had not broken your heart, if he had not run after you, you'd have never turned around and come after him. So we approach a text like this with humility. And you were, he says, after he says, such were some of you, he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so, there's a tension in verses 4 and 5. We talked about this a little bit. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and the affections that you are enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Beale says this. <clears throat> their enduring faith through suffering is the badge it's the evidence or it's the sign by which they will be counted worthy of not being judged but of inheriting the kingdom of God 
at the end of history. One will not be able to enter the kingdom without the badge of enduring faith um, and it's accompanying good works. James would say it this way, faith without works is dead. If your faith is a genuine faith, it's going to produce works, it's going to be growing, and the love in your life is going to be evident. And So you're not working toward salvation, trying to achieve it, but you are working from salvation, and there's going to be something to be seen there. One, one person illustrated it this way, uh, <laughs> and I thought this was ironic. Uh, I, I remember there was a hokey kind of song one time that said, Jesus is your ticket to heaven. I don't know if you remember that song. And it was, you can buy a ticket on an airplane, you can buy a ticket on a boat, you can buy a ticket on a train, but you can't buy a ticket to heaven. Jesus is your ticket to heaven. But the song just left it there. And you know what that says? It implies that, well, you know, somehow I get in this relationship with Jesus and then I've got that ticket and then one day when it comes time to go to heaven, I got my ticket. That's not good biblical theology. That's not, that's not the gospel. But I want to give you an example about a ticket. If you go to uh, some kind of event, a ball game or a, or a program or something like that, and it requires a ticket to get in, what do you do? You go to some ticket uh, uh, hub office or you do it overline or whatever and you purchase the ticket, right? So you get the ticket and then you go to wherever you're going and you present the ticket to get in, right? So what got you in? Did the ticket get in or did the purchase of the ticket get in, get you in? Well, well both of them, right? Both of them did. Here's the deal. With the gospel, you purchased nothing. Jesus Christ purchased your salvation if you were in Christ. But the thing is not using a ticket to get in somewhere. It's that you're going to have evidence that your life has been purchased and that evidence is going to be specifically here in this text. Your love for the brothers is going to be growing and your faith in God, even through the middle of the trials of your life, is going to be growing. That is going to be the evidence. So that brings me to the last characteristic of joy. Um, the church is going to be triumphant. Um, the church is going to be triumphant. We see that in verses 5 through 10. In the end, God is going to glorify himself by uh, calling his people to himself and by uh, this, this process that we're going through now of sanctification is going to be completed and we won't battle that sin nature anymore. And then lastly, God is glorifying himself by fulfilling his purposes in and through the church. He's and we see that in verses 11 and 12. Um, to this end, we always pray for you. So there's prayer again, how essential it is, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's this characteristic of, of joy there. Ultimately, the church 
is going to bring God glory. And we're going to see that. Now, we like to we like to put things in categories where they're nice and neat for us and uh, you may have heard this along your line in, in teaching that, that there's something like this there's three stages of the Christian life there, there's salvation and then there's sanctification and then one day there's glorification and the way that's usually understood is that, that salvation is that moment when the spirit of God awakens your soul and you turn to Christ and repent and you come into a saving relationship with Jesus because you're trusting him alone. And the sanctification is what follows that. It's that, that period of in between where you're growing to look more and more like Christ. You're, you're putting away sin. You're, you're, and, and there is uh, an important thing, and we talked about this yesterday in the elder meeting. Matthew brought this up, that part of the sanctification process is, is it's painful because as you walk in Christ and as you grow in that relationship the light of walking in Christ sheds more light on your life and you see sin exposed more and more so that is sanctification what I want us to see is that those things don't are not exclusive of one another salvation and sanctification Paul says work out your own salvation what's he talking about he's not talking about well you're, you're not really completely saved when you come to that moment of faith there's some other stuff you have he's saying that because that gospel has been planted in you it's not something you leave there it goes with you through your life and you, you are preaching the gospel to yourself every day and it is fueling your sanctification because you're remembering with humility over and over what Christ has done for you and the hope that you have in him and so then you come to, to sanctification and, and, and we're coming toward the end and if Christ comes again or when we go to see him, um, glorification we tend to think of generally as that moment when we finally fully see Christ and all of that sin nature falls away from us. And we're given a new glorified body that, that doesn't deal with sin. And so that's the glorification that, that points to what he has done. But I just want you to notice that he's already pointing at that in our lives here. Uh, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. And so... What's happening is, it, it's just like, you remember that moment at, Transfigura, at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus took three of his disciples up on the mountain and Jesus' body was glorified. It, it was, that there was light coming from his body. That, that was a picture of what is happening now because we as the church are his body and we should if we are in Christ, we should be reflecting that light. And it's a light like no other. And so that is what makes people would say that there is something different here. This is not moralism. Uh, the church is going to be triumphant. God is glorifying himself by fulfilling his purposes and through the church. So how do we as a church and how do we as believers respond to these truths? 
I just want to give you a couple of things just in, in, in these moments of closing today uh, that are ways that you can respond and questions that you can think of. Um, one is to, to, to start where you are. To start where you are in your walk with God. Because you may read this and you may say, yeah, I really sense that I'm in a growth period and I, I really sense my love for other believers and then also people outside of the faith, my desire to reach people with the gospel, I sense it growing. Or you may say, no, I don't at all. But, but wherever you are, it should be growing. Now, we're tempted to say, yeah, but. Let's look at what we're talking about here. Paul, some people call him the greatest Christian of all time. He's the one shepherding these people. They may be way up here spiritually. I didn't give you any context at the beginning, but I want to remind us of something here. Paul went through Thessalonica on his first missionary journey. And the general story was that it happened like it did in a lot of places for Paul. He went to the synagogue when he got to Thessalonica. He began to preach all of the gospel, and some people were saved, and some of the Jews who weren't converted um, wanted to do hurtful things to Paul, right? And so... He left Thessalonica, and then a short time later, and First Thessalonians is, is very likely the first letter that Paul wrote to, to a church that we have in, in the New Testament. And so it was a very short time later when he wrote First Thessalonians, and then a few months later he wrote Second Thessalonians. So we're talking about uh, believers, okay? This church basically is between 12 months and 18 months old. It's a baby church with baby Christians, 12 to 18 months. So this is something that we can, these commands, don't, don't say, well, I'm not spiritually this far yet. These are, these are people who are new in their walk with Christ. Well, maybe they just took the, uh, the super spiritual, you know, took off really quick as Christians. Maybe they grew really fast. We're not going to get into the rest of 2 Thessalonians today, but Paul kind of goes all Galatians on these people after this. They had some problems. They had a gross misunderstanding about uh, the second coming of Christ, and, and Paul exhorts them pretty well. And so these are not, what I want you to see is, don't think, well, these things are evident in Christians who have it all together. No, these are people just like us who... who are struggling with their own sin and Paul is saying I exhort you and I'm thankful for it here of how your love for one another is growing how your faithfulness even through trials are growing but keep growing and so start where you are but don't start alone so one of the marks of the church when we say love what does it look like it can be a very generic word love means trusting each other enough to intervene in each other's life for each other's good and for the glory of God sometimes and trusting each other to lean on one another when we're going through trials when we don't have it all together we pray these things regularly we prayed about this yesterday over and over in the elder meeting we pray just about every time we meet we know of people in the Trace family who are hurting 
Hurting because of deaths in the family, hurting because of financial needs, hurting because of physical needs. But here's what we also know. There are people who are hurting who've got it right here. And they're not letting go of it. (laughs) So I want to encourage you today to start where you are, but don't start alone. You need brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another because we're the body. We're not a body over here and a body over there and everybody's on their own journey and we kind of communicate every once in a while. We are a body of believers who are growing together. So let's grow in love for one another. And when we're going through trials, let's run to each other and not away from each other and reflect Christ in that way. You pray with me? Father, I just thank you just for just a small portion that you've revealed to us in this passage of of what you're doing through your bride, the church. And oh, how I long for people to look at this faith community and, and boast in you because of what they see you doing here. Lord, we are are so blessed to to, to be in a place where your word is held high and where these truths are exhorted so faithfully without apology and rightfully so because they're your truths and they are great. Would you, by the power of your spirit, God, help us to be not satisfied with the way that we love one another we would strive to be more Christ-like in that area and not so that we can earn some approval but because you've already approved us in Christ. What motivation that is for intentionally, aggressively looking for ways to, to show our love for one another, to step out of our comfort zones. So would you specifically today convict our hearts about how we can do that? And Father, as we walk through trials and challenging times, even as a time like now where we're seeking your will on a lead pastor, Lord, would you help us to have unity and do that together? Would you help us to have compassionate and wise and discerning eyes when we look at one another and see hurts? Would you help us not to passively wait to see how we could step into somebody's life? Would you help us not to passively wait to ask for help just to Pray with us about something, Lord. If that be the need, help us to to, to trust you enough to to open our lives to to each other. 
Lord, we love you for that. If not for the gospel, if not for what you've done in Christ, this would be some kind of talk on moralism that would end in nothing. But we have hope because of Christ. In everything that we've said today, our love is based on Christ. Our uh, ability to walk through trials and to let the gospel shine through all of that is based on Christ. And so we give you glory for that today. So help us to be honest about our sin and our shortcomings and our needs today. So we respond to your word. In the name of Jesus. Church, let's stand. Sing in response.